With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's business time, baby. You are listening to Solo Monster Sounds Off. It's such good shit. Mama Monster. Conquered! You're like fighting a woman? Your behavior just hasn't been very oozy. Oh my God, we're only an hour in. Eric Bischoff is an idiot. We have two more hours of this. Maybe the single stupidest idiot that ever got into wrestling. Who writes this stuff? Bruce? Come over here and threaten me. I'm the Sala Monster, damn it. <laughs> what is going on? It is Sunday, December 18th, 2022. And uh, that means it is time for me to sound off for the 787th time. People have not been able to shut me up for 15 years, so why start now? I am the Solo Monster. I am exhausted is what I am. After another fun night at Club Laboom in Queens, New York for House of Glory Revelations, our final show of the year. We closed out the year with a boom at Club Laboom. Main event, Midas Black and Jay Lion, who have been staples of HOG for years and really staples of the uh, independent scene for quite some time as well. Ending the 281-day run of Jay and Mark Briscoe as the House of Glory Tag Team Champions. One week after the Briscoes won back the Ring of Honor Tag Team titles from FTR, they fell to the main event in an excellent match. It was best two out of three falls, with the first fall being a straight wrestling match and the remaining falls being contested under anything-goes rule. No disqualification. Mark Briscoe eats the pin to take the first fall right at the beginning of the match, and then it hit me. It hit all of us at the same time on commentary what they were doing and how fantastic it was. You know, why would they give the first fall away like that? Because they wanted to get to the fun part, which was weapons and mayhem and destruction. I thought that was very clever. But in the end, it did not pay off for the Briscoes, and I I could not be happier for Midas and Jay Lyon Two guys who have busted their asses for years to finally get that moment. Uh, You know, you get to know these people working there, and two nicer, more humble men you will not find. And Lion is a Mets fan. That's how I know he's got good taste. So congrats to the two of them. We also had Jacob Fatu retaining his House of Glory World Championship against Nick Aldis, uh, Charles Mason, keeping his crown jewel title after a fun match with Lince Dorado. And a very good, not only a very good women's championship match, but as good of a women's championship match as I think we have ever seen in House of Glory. Uh, Certainly that we had this year with the champion Violet beating Masha Slamovich. And Masha Slamovich has been killing it also. I mean, she's been having wars with Jordan Grace for the Impact Knockouts title. Uh, she's been wrestling on the independent scene against men, women. It doesn't matter to her. She'll beat you up no matter who you are. But that was a very good match. And we had Loki against Kenta. This was the rematch 17 years in the making from their Ring of Honor Final Battle Classic in 2005, which at that time was a very groundbreaking match. 
Uh, the fact that I have had the opportunity to call my first Kenta match and my first Marafuji match this year is very cool. Uh, those two are going to be teaming again, by the way, for the first time since 2014 when they challenged for the GHC Tag Team titles on New Year's Day for Pro Wrestling Noah. That's the same card where Shinsuke Nakamura is wrestling the Great Muda. Every time Kenta threw a kick, I could feel it in my chest last night. Not the finish that anybody was hoping to see, but hopefully we can see it one more time down the road at some point. Overall, a fun night of pro wrestling. You can catch the replay on Fight TV. It's also part of their Fight Plus Pass. Uh, you can pay for a monthly pass or an annual pass, and it, it saves you a lot of money. You get access to a boatload of content on there, uh, not just HOG. But it was good to meet some of you at the venue, as always. We are back at home base at the NYC Arena Friday night, February 3rd, for our first show of the new year called simply The Beginning. Let's get to the beginning of our PayPal shoutouts for this week. Thank you for all of the support, uh, both here and on YouTube throughout the week. I hope you guys are enjoying all of the content. There's a lot more to come in these final two weeks of the year. $10 or more will get you a, a shout-out as one of our PayPal producers. Like the Portland pop star, Paul Hamilton. Paul, thank you. Night Stalker, Nayef Al-Safar, Big B, Brian Pissarra, Killshot, Keith Hart, Velvet Revolver, Robert Murray, the Chicago Slayer, Willie Eichard, the Diamond Dallas Dance Machine, Harrison Soap, New York Punk, Arnold Modesto, the Iowan Corn Farmer, Jesse Lampier, John Raging Mad Riffle, Shin Superkick Akuma, Left Hook Luke Hyams. Also want to wish a happy birthday to Tab, who also goes by the name French Fry Slut on our YouTube stream. She is celebrating her 28th birthday this Tuesday. You should also follow her on TikTok at French Fry Slut. She just hit 5,000 followers. She uh, makes and edits memes on there. I know you're all you're all into the memes, so go follow her on there. And Tony uh, wanted to give a special shout out to his wife Jessica Ohanian, who got him into listening to this podcast and helped reignite his love for wrestling. She always works hard, not just to help him, but anybody that she loves. And uh, she always goes above and beyond. So, Jessica, this is not only from Tony, but from me as well. Thank you for being a longtime fan of the show, and I wish you both a very Merry Christmas. Finally here, check out the Lightning Link Lounge. If you like playing games online, you want to try to win some money. Who doesn't want to do that? Uh, the Lightning Link Lounge is the place to be. You can play slots, as well as Keno and poker games like Texas Hold'em, Blackjack, and Roulette. There's thousands of games to choose from, and they pay winners daily. For more information, search for Lightning Link Lounge on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube. You must be 18 years or older to play. Ages may vary outside the U.S., and ID is required. Text 727-910-8809 to get started. Let's get into the top story this week. As we prepare to turn the page on the wildest year in wrestling in decades. A year that saw what I and I am sure a lot of you listening to this thought we would never see. Which is Vince McMahon stepping down as the head of creative in WWE. Resigning from the company. Forced into a retirement that he never wanted. Just when we thought we finally had rid ourselves of the Vince McMahon era... The Wall Street Journal dropped another story on Tuesday 
that served as a wake-up call that if 2022 was the fall of Vince McMahon, then 2023 may end up being the resurrection of Vince McMahon. I sound like I'm talking about a fucking Michael Myers movie. This is a real-life horror film. The Wall Street Journal reported on Tuesday that Vince McMahon, the majority owner and former CEO of WWE, is facing legal demands from two women who allege that he sexually assaulted them, according to internal documents and people familiar with the legal negotiations. In a November 3rd demand letter to McMahon's representative, a lawyer for former wrestling referee Rita Chatterton asked for $11.75 million in damages after she publicly accused McMahon three decades ago of assaulting her in a limousine, which McMahon has uh, always denied. He's always denied that story. The Chatterton story, by the way, and the allegation that she made against McMahon is not new. I've talked about it many times on the podcast before. New York and California are two states that have a new law that allows alleged victims of sex abuse to file lawsuits that typically would be barred by the statute of limitations. The article says starting next month, victims will have a one-year window to file such claims. But the article goes on here. In a separate November email to McMahon's attorney, a lawyer for a former spa manager said that McMahon assaulted his client in 2011 at a California resort, an incident previously unreported in the media. So this is a new allegation. This is not to be confused with the alleged uh, tanning salon incident from 2006 in Florida. I know it's hard to keep track of all this stuff, but these are two separate things. It says McMahon has told people that he refuses to pay settlements to Chatterton and the former spa manager. Chatterton's current lawyer said in the demand letter that he, or she rather, had passed a polygraph and that multiple sources corroborated her account, two of whom confirmed that Chatterton contemporaneously told them about the incident. John Wisnitsky, who wrestled as Greg Valentine, told the journal that Chatterton disclosed the allegations while the two were sharing a marijuana cigarette in a Marriott Hotel parking lot in Albany, New York in the 1980s. Wisnitsky said he did not believe Mrs. Uh, Ms. Chatterton then or now because he didn't think that she was attractive enough for Mr. McMahon. Which is quite a thing to say. And to be fair, Bret Hart said the same thing once in a shoot interview with Sean Oliver. But it is not surprising to hear Greg Valentine say it. Coming from a guy who a few years ago said that he would fire every girl wrestler because they take jobs away from men. But Rita Chatterton was too ugly for this to be true, he says. Coming from somebody who looks like Mama Fratelli from the Goonies. The former spa manager alleges that she was assaulted by McMahon in 2011 at a five-star resort in Southern California while he was in town for a WWE event. The spa manager reported the alleged assault at the time to the resort, according to people familiar with the matter, and also told her husband about the incident. He drove to the WWE event with a baseball bat and tried to confront McMahon, but was turned away. The woman's lawyer has been in touch with McMahon's attorney since at least July. So another day and another allegation against Vince McMahon. And those who defend him will tell you that they're all lying. It's all lies. Damn lies. You know, a normal person, though, would look at this and say, something is seriously wrong with this man, that he has multiple women in different states, who have no obvious connection to one another, accusing him of assault over a period of years. 
There's a pattern here. You've heard the expression where there's smoke, there's fire. There's a pattern here. And it doesn't paint a very pretty picture. But it is hardly surprising when he is already, here's a guy who's already paid out something like $20 million in hush money that we know of. But as a viewer of the WWE product, it's the next part of this article that caught my attention. And WWE sources have since confirmed the same to Dave Meltzer, which is that McMahon also has told people that he intends to make a comeback at WWE, according to the people familiar with his comments. He has said that he received bad advice from people close to him to step down and that he now believes the allegations and investigations would have blown over had he stayed. Of course he does. Of course he feels that way. In his mind, he did nothing wrong. It's someone else's fault. It's always someone else's fault. There's always a scapegoat in these situations. I'm sure another allegation going public is exactly what WWE's board of directors and their shareholders and their partners love to hear as he plots his comeback. They fired Mandy Rose this week for posting the content that she did, yet Vince McMahon, the sex pest, is gonna make, he's gonna be the comeback kid. What a great story. Hey, look, he still owns it. He can try if he wants to. But I would think that there would be some important people who don't look very kindly upon that. Now, per the Observer, the general feeling within the company is that things are so much better without McMahon there. The talent is happier, right? The water is crisper. The air smells a little bit fresher. The sky is a little more blue when you look up in the air. And even those who have been McMahon allies are negative about the prospects of him coming back. Dave Scherer of PW Insider spoke to at least a dozen people who work for WWE, and not a single one of them want to see Vince McMahon come back. In fact, every one of them feels just the opposite. Under the current regime, and look, whatever you think of the television product that Triple H is putting out, under the current regime, People are happier and they are enjoying going to work in ways that they did not before. Before, they just sort of accepted, okay, this is the way it is. This is Vince McMahon's WWE. You know, it's it's still WWE, right? It's the biggest wrestling company in the world and it was run the way that it was. And you just sort of accepted it. Or you didn't. And you left and you went to go work somewhere else. But now it's like, holy shit, this is what it feels like to, to not come to work every day walking on eggshells. They have no desire to go back to the way things were. Can you imagine if this guy swaggers back into Titan Tower? Just the visual of him swaggering back into the building, his arms flailing around. How long before he brings Johnny Ace back? Why not get the whole band back together? Johnny Ace was apparently the idiot, by the way. William Regal was referring to in the stage show that he did in October with Inside the Ropes. Vince McMahon coming back to WWE would be a fucking nightmare. You hear that and it sounds unlikely, right? Oh, this is all, you know, just pie in the sky, what if type stuff. Especially, you know, you've got more of these allegations that are still surfacing that we didn't even know about. Who knows when the next shoe might drop? We're going to get one of these every three months, possibly. You think the company wants to live with that over its head for the next five years? The stock is doing better than it was before he left. It certainly didn't plummet the way that some people feared it might when the day finally came that he either died or retired. 
I can't imagine anybody in that company not named Bruce or Kevin wanting this man back. But he still has majority voting control because of the preferred stock that he still owns. So if he wanted to, he could make life difficult for Stephanie and Nick Khan and Triple H. And Meltzer brought up a good point in The Observer, which is that so long as Vince McMahon is looking at returning or or contemplating the possibility of coming back, it makes it very difficult for the company to be sold. Because any sale would have to be approved by Vince McMahon. If the company is sold, there goes all of his power. There goes all of his leverage. As it stands now, he can't be voted out. It's just how things are structured with the shares that he still owns. He owns less than 40% of WWE, but his shares give him 80% of the voting power. He knew what he was doing, the way this was structured. If he wanted back in, the board of directors would have to approve such a move, and the board is made up of people that he handpicked himself. But you hear the term fiduciary responsibility thrown around sometimes. The board has a a responsibility to make moves that are going to help the company make money and not lose money. Vince McMahon coming back could cause the company to lose money. It could cause the stock price to, to fall. It could cause partners and sponsors to pull out. That would harm the stock price. If that happens, the other shareholders could sue. So we are a long way yet from Vince McMahon putting the headset back on and reinstating the 24-7 title. But just the mere fact that we are even talking about this is very scary. What must Triple H be thinking when he hears about this? He read the article. For all we know, he may hear it at the dinner table when they get together for the holidays. I wonder what Thanksgiving looks like. I wonder what Christmas. That might be a very awkward Christmas dinner this year. But you know that he's seeing this, he's reading these articles, he's seeing all the messages on social media. He's less than six months into his new job, and you know now, in the back of his mind, he's thinking, you gotta be shitting me with this. I I, I beat a heart attack and heart failure to come back for this? <laughs> How do you think all those people that got fired, that he brought back, must be feeling hearing this? They've got a queasy feeling in the pit of their stomach right now. William Regal is coming back as a vice president, we found out this week. As of the first of the year, which is tremendous, after being fired to come back in a VP role, which sounds like a a lot more than just the coaching role that Tony Khan said it would be. Regal had nothing but good things to say about Vince McMahon and how he was treated. Vince even let him start with AEW while he was still being paid on his WWE deal. The only man in history to ever draw a paycheck from WWE and AEW at the same time. But as nice as Vince may have been to him, he still got fired for no good reason under Vince McMahon's watch. Who's to say it doesn't happen again? And what's he going to do then? He's going to call Tony back and say, oh, just kidding. WWE has become the place to be for a lot of people who may not have wanted to go there or, or to go back because of how they perceive they might be booked by a Vince McMahon regime. This would be one way to wash away all of that goodwill that Triple H has built up. You already have people who don't think Vince McMahon ever really left. Monday Night Raw has been back in the shitter now for weeks. Some people joke, oh, he's already back. He's booking the show on Mondays. Maybe some of those people are serious. Something like this is not going to do anything to dispel those rumors and and the conspiracy theories. 
They have television rights negotiations coming up next year. They're going to probably double or triple what they're making now. But this is not going to help. If they're shopping their shows around to other potential partners with the looming specter of a Vince McMahon return hanging over things, maybe one of those networks or one of those streaming partners that they're talking to says, you know, we're interested, but only if we're given assurances that Vince McMahon won't come back to power. They can't guarantee that. So long as he has that power, they can't guarantee that. So maybe some people who would otherwise be interested suddenly lose interest because they don't want to deal with any kind of public relations nightmare. And then there's also the possibility that maybe absolutely none of that happens. Maybe the allegations don't matter to them and they just see Vince's track record and they would be very happy to do business with him. We just don't know. But just the mere possibility of that could be damaging to the company. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The big question is, who leaked this information to the Wall Street Journal? Same as the emails earlier this year that launched the whole board of directors investigation in the first place. We never did find out, and probably never will, who leaked that information. It could be the same people leaking stuff now about Vince wanting to make a comeback. Try to pour cold water on the fire before it turns into a raging inferno. One one thing that we have learned since the summer is that WWE does not need Vince McMahon. What he created and what he built can be managed by his family and by other people and it won't just fall apart. Their stock is up about 15% since Vince resigned. And it actually dropped a little bit when this story came out. Television ratings have not suffered, even though Raw just tied its all-time record low audience on USA Network last Monday. 1.47 million viewers. And I know some people are going to point to that as an excuse of Triple H's failure. It's a reason to bring back the old man. I said it tied the all-time record low. Keyword there is tied. You know, the last time the show did 1.47 million viewers, July 5th of last year. Do you know who was running things when they did that number? Vince McMahon. Raw numbers were up in the weeks after Triple H took the book, and now they've settled back to their record lows. But Vince McMahon's television is what helped get them there in the first place. Raw has been losing viewers year after year since the move to three hours in 2012. SmackDown is proof that if you give people a good show with stories they want to see, you will be rewarded for it. SmackDown most weeks is well over 2 million viewers on Fox. SmackDown has been kicking ass most weeks. Vince McMahon already tore down what Triple H built once before and the team he put together in NXT. We don't need him to come back and do the same thing on the main roster. 
Triple H needs time to sink or swim on his own. So far, he hasn't done any worse than Vince McMahon was doing. And in a lot of areas, he's done much better. It sounds from everything I've been reading like it's a more relaxed atmosphere backstage. We don't get stories of scripts being torn up and shows being rewritten hours before they go on the air. The announcing, at least on SmackDown, has been a breath of fresh air. Michael Cole feels renewed. Triple H got it wrong by replacing Jimmy Smith with Kevin Patrick. That was a mistake. But again, at least on Friday nights, the commentary has actually improved. There's been more of an emphasis on the mid-card titles, the 24-7 title being retired, and the end of those lazy segments is one of the best things Triple H has done so far. We've seen them try new concepts on the main roster from NXT, like War Games, which they should have done years ago, the Fight Pit, The Bloodline story with Sami Zayn, which had already started under Vince McMahon, has been the best thing on television for months. If Vince was still around, it probably would have been over three months ago. Look at the Judgment Day. It was basically on death's door. And it has become one of my favorite things on Monday Night Raw, especially the whole dynamic with Rhea Ripley and Dominic. You know, Triple H replacing his father-in-law basically saved Finn Balor's career. Look at L.A. Knight. Just the fact that they dumped the stupid Max Dupree stuff and they're letting him be who he is on TV is all the proof you need of real change. Triple H thought Becky Lynch was swimming upstream as a heel, so one of the first things he did was turn her back babyface, which was the correct move. Damage control has not been great. I can understand wanting to put Io Sky in a group with other people because her promo skills are not great. Her English is not great. But this group just is not working. And I think EO would be better off as a babyface. But for every damage control, there is Imperium, which was reunited with all three members under Triple H. I would like to see Kaiser and Vinci develop a little bit more, not just be, you know, Walter's sidekicks. Under Vince McMahon, they were sort of doing that with Kaiser when Walter would berate him and abuse him every week. I don't know if that was the correct way to do it. But with Vinci and NXT, they were trying to have him show off more personality. I think there's room to do that on SmackDown, too. I think uh, Giovanni Vinci is an incredible athlete. We had the return of Bray Wyatt. I remember after he was released, the reports they leaked about him being difficult to work with and all of this stuff. That's what they do. To make themselves look better, they'll leak shit about people. Vince did the same thing with his own daughter. They buried Stephanie. To Business Insider after she announced her leave of absence. You know that shit doesn't happen without Vince knowing about it or approving it. This is what they do. But the White Rabbit campaign, that was a huge success. Everybody went gaga for Bray's return. It's getting very repetitive now. A lot of these segments, I wish they would move things along a little bit faster. But he would not have gotten the second chance that he is getting now under Vince McMahon. We have seen a lot of people brought back by Triple H and given a second chance. Anderson and Gallows, Carrie and Cross and Scarlet, Johnny Gargano and Candice, right? Johnny made his, his choice to go back there, but they brought them back. Dexter Loomis, Hit Row, Dakota Kai, Mia Yim, Tegan Knox, Emma. The jury is still out on a lot of these returns. WrestleVotes tweeted on Thursday, I'm told a handful of talent brought back in the rehiring wave over the summer have underperformed and severely underwhelmed Triple H and others since returning to the company. 
even if that's not true, I can believe that. Because I look at this and I see disappointment with some of these returns. And I'm underwhelmed by some of these returns. Hit Row has to be on that list. They have been a huge miss since they came back. And this was before Top Dollar took the big tumble that he took on SmackDown on Friday night. But without Swerve there to anchor the group, there's just nothing interesting about them. And I say that as someone who liked uh, Hit Row and NXT. On the main roster, they were never given a chance. And I think the circumstances around their release, without getting into the details again, was extremely shitty. I was happy to see them get a second chance, but they were down a member. And it's been really noticeable. Johnny Gargano's been doing comedy segments. I think he'll get over just fine once they let him start telling stories in the ring instead of just working with The Miz. And I also wonder if Tommaso Ciampa's injury derailed any plans they may have had for Gargano. Because I think the best thing to do would have been to have Ciampa break away from The Miz and reunite DIY with Johnny Gargano. You know, let them get a tag team run on the main roster just like they had in NXT. Get more established that way with the audience before breaking them out in singles runs. I wasn't asking for an Anderson and Gallows return. I wasn't asking for a Braun Strowman return. To be fair, though, Braun Strowman has been over with the live crowd, so it hasn't been a total waste. Karrion Cross is positioned as the number three heel on SmackDown right now behind Roman Reigns and Gunther. The reports, you know, look, the reports may say that he's considered number two or he's listed internally number two on the pecking order as far as heels on SmackDown. You're not the fucking number two heel on SmackDown when you're barely on TV, and when you are, you're wrestling Mad Cat Moss. I'm sorry. He's number three at best. Now he's starting something with Rey Mysterio. I think working with Rey could be a great thing for him. But Cross's return so far has been underwhelming. Maybe it's the gimmick. You know, the man can talk. He just hasn't had anything terribly interesting to say. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend like everything is all roses and everything Triple H touches turns to gold. The jury is out on a lot of these returns. But I am excited to see what a Triple H booked Royal Rumble is going to look like. I am excited to see what a Triple H booked WrestleMania is going to look like. Even if you're not a fan of all the changes that he has made and the people that he has signed, WWE is still better off now than they were before under Vince McMahon. And I have hope that it can improve even more. Nothing was ever truly going to change until there was change at the top. I have been saying that for years. And to have people telling me, oh, we need Vince McMahon back. After all the shit that we have sat through for years, that going back to the way things were is the right move to make. Thank God you people aren't on the board of directors. Fightful spoke to one of the higher-ups in the company who said that it would be a really selfish move for Vince McMahon to come back under any circumstances. But that selfish activities are what led to him leaving in the first place. If he truly cares for the company that he helped build, he will stay home and he will enjoy his retirement. Find a hobby. Go ice fishing. If he wants to keep working, he can start another bodybuilding federation. He can make the Liver King his star attraction. But if the past few months have proven anything, it is that this company can survive just fine without Vince McMahon. As I said the other day, the man is 77 years old. His time has come and gone. 
And for the sake of his company, there is only one thing that he needs to do, and it is the hardest thing for him to do. But it's the right thing for him to do. And that is, stay the fuck away. Vice aired its Nine Lives of Vince McMahon documentary on Tuesday night. That was the same day that the Wall Street Journal story broke. And as you would expect, he was painted as the devil incarnate. I watched it, and I thought it was two hours of my life that I will never be able to get back. A very lazy effort. 90% of it was just recycled clips from old Dark Side of the Ring episodes. So if you never saw any of those episodes, or if you are not a wrestling fan and you did not know any of these stories coming in, maybe you liked it. Maybe you thought it was it was a fascinating look at a fascinating person. I didn't. It felt like a rush job trying to take advantage of their dark side audience after the Vince uh, resignation news a few months ago. Without any involvement, by the way, from the dark side folks. I don't, I don't believe they had anything to do with this. This was all vice. But it covered his upbringing and him taking over the company from his father and David Schultz slapping John Stossel, Black Saturday on TBS, the first WrestleMania, the Rita Chatterton allegations, right? How timely. The death of Nancy Argentino and him walking into the police station with a briefcase before the cops decided against pressing charges against Jimmy Snuka and her death. I did an entire show on that case. The Dr. Zahorian stuff and the steroid trial, the Montreal screwjob, the death of Owen Hart. They actually had the narrator claiming that Vince McMahon needed to find another big name star to help carry the company when all of his gimmicky stars failed. And so he turned to Owen Hart. So imagine somebody who is not a wrestling fan, who does not know from anything here, hearing this, they're thinking that Owen Hart was was called upon to be the, the savior of WWE. It is ridiculous. Vince McMahon never turned to Owen Hart to help save his company or to make him a top star. At a time when they had Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker and Kane and Stone Cold was on the rise... Owen came back a month after the screw job. He had one match on TV with Shawn Michaels, and then it was right back down the card he went. They never saw Owen as any kind of savior. And he wasn't, and I loved Owen, but he was not. The writing here was really bad. But that was their way of segueing into the story of Owen plummeting to his death. Then it was back to the plane ride from hell and Ric Flair's helicopter penis... Then they brought up Eddie Guerrero's death and having Randy Orton go on TV to tell Rey Mysterio that Eddie was in hell. But that was just their way of segueing into the Chris Benoit murder-suicide. Then they jumped back to the late 90s and the Attitude Era. This thing was all over the place. (laughs) Then they finally ended with the Wall Street Journal story and the allegations that broke a few months ago. And maybe the biggest piece of news to come out of this came from, of all people, Vince Russo. So take this for what it's worth saying that he was told that Vince and Linda have been separated since 2012. Now, that the fact that they would be separated is not a surprise at all. I'm sure they've been living separate lives for a while now. That seems pretty obvious. You know, Vince even slipped up on Pat McAfee's show before WrestleMania this year when he referred to Linda as my wife at the time, and then he corrected himself. But Russo is the first person I've heard put an actual date, an actual year, to when they potentially split up. If you never saw any of the Dark Side of the Ring episodes, you can just watch this documentary and you can get the greatest hits. Because that's all this was. Otherwise, don't waste your time with this. 
In a shocker, WWE released Mandy Rose this week after she dropped the NXT Women's Championship to Roxanne Perez on Tuesday's show, ending a 413-day run with the title that she won from Raquel Gonzalez, back when she was still Gonzalez, on last year's Halloween Havoc show. Now, I figured she would be dropping the title to Roxanne because they just had uh, their first two Iron Survivor matches and they would want at least one of the winners to go on to win the championship. And I don't see Braun Breaker losing his title to Grayson Waller. So I figured Mandy was going to be the uh, the fall girl here. But I was surprised they rushed into it so quickly. I figured they would hold off until, you know, at least New Year's Evil uh, or maybe even the uh, the show they're doing on the road. I think it's in Charlotte in February. But then I heard that she was released, and it all made sense. Per The Observer, Matt Bloom informed Shawn Michaels about content that Mandy was posting on her Fantime subscription service, uh, which is something that I had didn't even know existed until this week, but evidently it's very similar to OnlyFans. The stuff that she was posting had gotten a lot more racy of late, at which point Michaels had Tuesday's show completely rewritten to have her drop the championship to Roxanne. When I heard this, I was stunned because they have pushed Mandy, uh, Mandy Moore, Mandy Rose, uh, to the moon as the NXT Women's Champion now for over a year. And it seemed like Toxic Attraction was poised for a main roster debut very soon, probably after Mandy dropped the belt. And for them to just fire her like that instead of suspending her, it just didn't make sense to me. Until I started to see and hear things about the actual content that she was posting on her page. Once I started, you know, hearing about what it was, then it made more sense to me why they would want to get rid of her or, or distance themselves from her as quickly as possible. Because we're not just talking skimpy bikini photos here. You know, people are getting very outraged over this and starting the free Mandy hashtags, I think, on uh, social media without actually knowing what she was posting. To be perfectly honest with you, I am shocked that she got away with it as long as she did, unless she only recently started posting more racy stuff. And if she violated the terms of her contract by posting the content that she did, then she violated her contract. Now, this is very different than other talents that have had spicy photos and videos of theirs get leaked. In those cases, they weren't selling those things on their own personal website. Those were personal photos and videos that were stolen from them and were leaked on the internet. In this case, one of her paying customers, at least one of her paying customers, was leaking this stuff on the internet... It was behind a paywall, and they basically just leaked it for everybody to see. But they saw it because she was selling the content herself. So that is not exactly the same thing. This decision had nothing to do with WWE being the morality police. This had nothing to do with Mandy Rose casting the company in a bad light. It has everything to do with dollars and cents, which is all this company cares about. Mandy might be making a fortune off this stuff, but WWE is not. <laughs> So don't think that they're not bothered by that. Uh, I'm sure that didn't sit too well with them. But more than that, they have their sponsors. They have a very lucrative, very important deal with Mattel, the biggest toy manufacturer in the world. That is what this is ultimately about. Melter says that she was blindsided by the news. Do I think a conversation should have been had first? Yes, absolutely. And I assume there was a conversation. At least, at least one at some point between WWE and Mandy Rose, there's no way that they did not know about her having this fan page. They absolutely knew about it. I think a suspension would have made sense, 
But I have to assume these things were already brought up. And if so, and if she made it clear that she was not taking the site down or toning down the content because she's making so much money from it, she may have drawn a line in the sand. If that's the case, then I don't blame WWE for doing what they did. I don't see this as a hero and a devil situation where the good guy is Mandy Rose and the bad guy is WWE. WWE is very good at being the bad guy. God knows they played that role plenty of times before. Just based on what we know so far, which is not everything, I don't think that this is one of those times. Apparently Mandy is making a fortune from that website. I read in one place that she might be she might be raking in more money from her own website than she does from her WWE contract. I believe it. There's a lot of people making a lot of money on, on sites like OnlyFans. There are Instagram influencers who make a full-time living just by posting on Instagram. Millions of followers. So I can believe it. If WWE and Mandy had a conversation about the page previously and she stood her ground and she refused to change it or take it down, even if it meant costing her her job, then good for her. I think that's to be respected. But knowing what she was posting, I can completely understand WWE wanting to distance themselves from it. Now, we're not talking hardcore porn here, but we're also not talking you know, skimpy photos. I can understand WWE saying, you know, we, we can't, you know, work together anymore. Especially if Mattel or one of their partners came to them and said, hey, we have a problem here. You know, Mandy Rose is not bigger than Mattel. It comes down to dollars and cents. It makes sense for her to trade taking bumps for taking raunchy photos and videos if she can make more money doing that. And if WWE thinks that this is going to potentially cost them business, then it makes sense for them to sever their ties with her. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Now, the Observer report said the belief is that she was fired without being given the option to take the stuff down and tone down her site. I find that hard to believe. With all that they have invested in her, that Shawn Michaels would not have called her into the principal's office first to ask her about this. I said this with the CM Punk stuff, with the elite. If people would just communicate with each other, 95% of these situations could be avoided. I just cannot wrap my head around the visual of Lord Tenzai racing into Shawn Michaels' office at the PC, winded and out of breath with his fucking iPad to show him these Mandy Rose photos that they supposedly knew nothing about. And that, without talking to her about it first, they would have rebooked their entire show to take the title off her and then fired her, all without having a conversation. Or without asking her to take the site down first. If that's what happened here, she still may have violated the terms of her contract, but that would be pretty fucking stupid if that's how this all went down. Now, Fightful says that Mandy knew WWE did not want her posting this kind of stuff and that it could possibly get her in trouble, and she did it anyway. I think when people first started leaking her content, she went on social media and she tried to squash it before it turned into a big story. So she knew. It wasn't just, you know, hey, that's, you know, paywall content, you can't be doing that. It was like, You guys got to take that shit down because, you know, I could get in some hot water here. She knew. 
that it was a risk. And also, we don't know how many chances WWE may have given her if they did talk to her about this before. Now we're getting conflicting reports, right, about whether or not they actually spoke to her or not. If they did, we don't know how many times they had a conversation about this or who she talked to. Which is why I'm not going to jump down their throats for this until we know more. I think she knew the risks. I think she decided it was worth it to keep doing it. And she got burned. She took a risk and it didn't pay off. Right? That's what happens when you take risks in life sometimes. (laughs) You take a risk and sometimes it comes back to bite you on the ass. She took a risk and, and look, we could get into the whole, oh, I thought she was an independent contractor and all that. Yes, we know the independent contractor stuff is a farce. I've spoken about this many, many times over the years. I don't feel like rehashing it again. We know it's bullshit. Is there a double standard when it comes to other talent who get into trouble and don't get fired? Yes. <laughs> yes. I know that's hard to believe, but yes, there is a double standard in pro wrestling. And I'm not even talking just like a male-female thing. I'm talking if you are a big star, you are going to get more chances to fail than someone who is not as big of a star. That has always been the case. For the people who cited Jimmy Uso to me and his countless DUIs and how he's never been fired, or Matt Riddle, who I'm going to talk about in a bit, allegedly being popped for a second drug violation and being sent to rehab... How come he wasn't fired, right? All this stuff. Because WWE has policies in place for a lot of these things. The DUI stuff, there really, there's no excuse for the DUI stuff. And if Jimmy Uso was not cousins with Roman Reigns, he would not have been so lucky. I don't think. After his fifth or sixth DUI. But if Riddle failed the drug test after a second time, I think the policy states that the company mandates a trip to rehab. And if the talent refuses, then they have the right to terminate them. That's what happened Uh, years ago with Umaga, and I think even before that with Jeff Hardy. You may disagree with their policies and say that it's unfair, but they nonetheless still do have policies for some of this stuff. The way they, you know, that they treat the Matt Riddle situation is going to be different than how they treat the Mandy Rose situation because of that. Now, Fightful says that she had two years left on her contract. It was a main roster contract she was working on because she was on the main roster and got sent down to NXT in 2021, uh, where she formed Toxic Attraction. So she's likely bound by the standard 90-day non-compete instead of the 30 days that usually applies to the NXT deals. I honestly don't think that we have seen the last of Mandy Rose in WWE. I think that they're going to bring her back next year at some point if she wants to come back. Maybe she won't want to. Maybe she's perfectly content to keep doing what she's doing. And I have no problem with her doing that. More power to her. I think that's great. It's a great feeling to be self-employed. But if she wants to wrestle, there's obviously uh, AEW. There's Impact. But I I mean, you know, if it's true that she was making more doing her own site than she was off her WWE deal, there ain't no way Impact is shelling out that kind of money for Mandy Rose. I could see her in AEW. But I think they end up working something out. I think she eventually returns to WWE. The ones I feel bad for, I don't really, I don't feel bad for Mandy Rose. The one I feel bad for more than anything are Gigi Dolan and JC Jane. Because through no fault of their own, they had a good thing going with Toxic Attraction. And now that's dead. I hope that doesn't screw up their chances of a main roster call-up. You know, they can still stay together as a tag team. But without Mandy, it won't be the same. It kind of fucks them over in a way. And that's not their fault. They didn't do anything wrong. But Roxanne Perez is the new NXT Women's Champion. I expected it, just not this soon. But it's just like I mapped out. 
before NXT deadline, Roxanne was going to win the Iron Survivor Challenge. I said that she was going to end Mandy's reign then as the champion. And when the time comes, she's going to drop that NXT Women's Championship to Tiffany Stratton. The latest on Sasha Banks is that she will, as first reported by Mike Johnson of PW Insider, be appearing for New Japan Pro Wrestling. Next month at its Wrestle Kingdom show at the Tokyo Dome. She will not be wrestling on that show, but she will be part of it in some way. As I said last week, she's probably coming out to confront Kyrie after Kyrie retains her IWGP Women's Championship against Tam Nakano. Uh, that then sets up a title match between the two. There was an interesting little nugget in the Observer that Kyrie had been rumored for the Women's Royal Rumble match next month. Uh, but that was before the plans changed with her winning the IWGP title. Apparently, Mayu Iwatani was originally supposed to be the first champion. She was going to beat Kyrie when they had their match. Uh, they were really going to build around her. She has a movie about her life coming out next year also. But she wanted to renegotiate her deal because holding the IWGP belt would have meant an increase in her U.S. bookings. Uh, but they couldn't agree to a new deal. So they went with Kyrie instead. So who knows if those uh, plans are out the window now. Look, this is a company that booked, and this is when Vince McMahon was still in power. They booked Mickey James in the Royal Rumble match this year as the Impact Knockouts champion. So anything is possible. But Fightful said that Sasha's WWE exit was negotiated months ago, likely when Raj Geary of Wrestling Inc. tweeted in June that Sasha was released. That would have been a month after she and Naomi walked out of the company. And Raj got a lot of flack for reporting that at the time. WWE, though, has yet to confirm this to Fightful. Sasha is still listed on the Superstar section on WWE.com. My guess is that she comes off the page after the clock strikes midnight on the January 1st. It was also reiterated to Fightful that she would be able to take wrestling bookings after January 1st. And again, she has not been... Officially announced for Wrestle Kingdom publicly, she herself has said nothing to confirm nor deny any of these reports. But New Japan likely would not be able to say publicly anything anyway about this until after the New Year. So it's like, why even bother announcing anything? If she's there, let her show up as a surprise. Get people talking. Even though it wouldn't be a surprise to anybody with a smartphone or a Wi-Fi connection... If you've still got that sweet dial-up connection, well, I mean, the, the page is probably still loading. You can't really make out the headline because it's still pixelated. So to those people, it might be a surprise. To the rest of us, though, it won't be a surprise. But per the Observer, the appearance is said to be leading to multiple dates, as many dates in the U.S. and Japan as she can commit to. But whatever those dates are, they would be major shows only, not tours. And the deal is with New Japan... But it does include one date for the Stardom promotion, likely for a show in April. Voices of Wrestling reported on their Patreon that her deal was the largest that Bushy Road, their parent company, has ever agreed to as far as a per-date deal. And they specified that it was larger than uh, what they were paying for Chris Jericho. The people have been throwing around numbers for what Jericho made during his New Japan run. And Jericho himself tweeted that the money I reportedly made during my run with New Japan from 2018 to 2020 online currently is completely wrong. I never had a flat per appearance deal. I was paid according to the event. And I made more per event than I did for most of my WrestleMania matches. 
I would hope his main event with Triple H is not included in that, being, you know, in a WrestleMania main event should have been one of the biggest paydays of his career. Uh, but that may have been why he said he made uh, more for that than most. He didn't say all of his uh, WrestleMania matches. Meltzer says that it is a huge per-event deal, big enough that Rossi Ogawa of Stardom, when first approached with the uh, scenario, turned it down, thinking that it was not cost-effective. However, Takaki Kadani, the CEO of Bushy Road, wanted the deal made at her asking price. Uh, apparently, uh, Sasha reached out months ago to Ogawa, but due to the asking price, it went nowhere, until Kadani later ordered that the deal be made. So here's the deal on Sasha and WWE. The two sides, they did not reach terms on a new contract. There were negotiations, there were conversations. Those in the company in recent months said that the sides were not close on the money. She and WWE reached an agreement in the summer regarding her leaving, and the agreement was that they would release her to be a free agent rather than freeze her contract, but that she could not do anything wrestling-related until January. And then when Vince McMahon left and Triple H took over uh, creative, the two sides came together to negotiate a new deal, and it was considered to be close. And there were reports that came out a few months ago that suggested that, hey, Sasha could be on her way back any day now. It looked pretty... Uh, close to a done deal. But I guess aside from the money figure, there were other issues and they ended up being far apart. Meltzer says Sasha was seeking a number along the levels of Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair. And those internally said that uh, she was not offered numbers that were even close to that. They said that she's not seen internally as somebody who would be on top for the next five years, but is seen as someone who could get a singles or a tag team title run, but has peaked as a star, aside from the reality that was acknowledged that if she were to return, there would be a honeymoon period where people would go nuts for her. I find that last part to be hilarious because that happens with every single star that comes back. Why would Sasha Banks be any different? Bray Wyatt came back at Extreme Rules and got a huge reaction and at TV that week. Is he still getting good reactions now? Yes. But is the honeymoon phase over? Yes. I think it is. They're not going nuts the way they did his first week back. And you knew that that was unrealistic to expect. The key is in not overexposing these people. But most people who come back and get a monster reaction, the reactions peter out as the weeks go on. So I just laugh at the notion that somebody in the company would cite this as one of their reasons for not paying Sasha Banks what she wants or what, what she you know feels she deserves when that happens to every other person when they make a big return. I read that, and here's my take on what I'm getting out of this. They know that this woman has had and is going to have opportunities to do a lot of things outside of wrestling. And they don't feel like making a long-term expensive investment in someone who is not going to dedicate their entire life to WWE. Now, let's look at it from WWE's perspective. And I see that this woman has walked out on the company before. Not once, but twice. That we know of. I still have no idea what happened at SummerSlam last year. And why Sasha was pulled from that show at the last minute. That's when Becky Lynch stepped in to wrestle Bianca Belair and she beat her for the title in 26 seconds. We never found out why Sasha was pulled from that show. Was it an injury? Was it an illness? Was it a disciplinary thing? Did she walk out again? We don't know. 
And that was a terrible bait and switch by the company, but we don't know the full circumstances behind it. Now that Sasha is going to be free as of January 1st, right? She's going to be free and clear. I would love for someone to ask her about that and see if she can help clear that up. But she has walked out on them twice before. And even if you think she had good reasons for doing so, and I supported her and Naomi when they walked out in May, I can see from WWE's point of view, this person has walked out twice now. Can we trust her in that position? If we pay her top dollar, and I don't mean top dollar like he crashed and burned on SmackDown this week. I mean top dollar. And we push her as one of our top stars. Can we trust that she is not going to just walk away again the next time she's unhappy? I can understand that if that was part of WWE's calculation here. But this idea that she has already peaked and that she isn't worth top star money like Becky Lynch and Charlotte are getting, it is very clear that Sasha Banks was never the chosen one like Charlotte Flair was. Or Becky Lynch, or Ronda Rousey for that matter. And Ronda is not exactly lighting the world on fire right now in her current run, and that is being very generous. But they have never seen Sasha in the same light. Last time we saw her, they paired her with Naomi to hold the women's tag team titles, which she already had before. She did that before with Bayley. That was their great idea for Sasha Banks to put the women's title, the, the tag team titles back on her and just pair her up with someone else they didn't have any real plans for coming out of Naomi's program with Sonya Deville. Or how about early on in her main roster run where it became a running joke that Butterfinger was her favorite candy because she couldn't hold on to any of the titles that she won. She would win and then within a few weeks they would slip right through her fingers. She had Butterfingers. The booking did not exactly support her. But if this is how WWE views her, then she's making the right decision to not go back there. Because if she did, where would she even rank in the pecking order there? It's pretty clear that Bianca Belair is ranked above her right now. Probably Rhea Ripley too. If Sasha Banks were to go back to WWE today, Bianca Belair and Rhea Ripley would already be above her. And would stay above her. And we know they rank Charlotte above her and Becky above her. So at best, she would be number five. And I didn't even mention Ronda. So, not even top five when it comes to the women in WWE. They think that she's peaked. The woman is only 30 years old. She's actually the youngest out of all the horsewomen. So, the idea that she has peaked as a star is ridiculous. Now, I will say this. As a fan of Sasha and a fan of her work, the greatest thing that she has ever done in WWE is still the match that she had with Bayley in Brooklyn. And that was seven years ago. It's been seven years since the match in NXT, which is still the greatest women's match in the history of that company. You can say that that was the peak moment of her career. She's had plenty of great matches since then, but none that have had the emotion that that match did. Everything about that, the the story leading up to it, and the personalities involved, and the entrances, and the match itself, and the fan reaction, and the, the finish, they everything about it was just fantastic. But I don't blame her for that. I think a lot of it can be owed to the booking and the things that they had her doing. Again, she's had great matches since then against Becky at Hell in a Cell, against Bianca at WrestleMania, against Charlotte. Brooklyn is still the peak. But to write her off and say that her career has peaked at 30 years old and she can't get any higher is one of the stupidest things that I have ever heard. This is a woman who is insanely marketable. She absolutely should be making comparable money to someone like Charlotte Flair. Becky Lynch, I can understand making more than any of the other women because Becky is the biggest star they have 
on the female side of the roster. She took off in a way that nobody expected. And she became a phenom. She became a huge star. And she earned it. Whatever she's making, she's earned it. But to say that Sasha isn't close to the same level, at least as Charlotte, is nonsense. You know, people got on her case for asking $30,000 for her C2E2 appearance in August, which I think is what Sting was, was charging. And it sparked a huge debate about whether or not she's worth that much money. And I said it at the time. I thought, if anything, she was underselling herself. And we broke down the numbers and, and how much was being charged for an autograph and a photo. And I thought she was actually underselling herself. Because that's the number her agents determined people would be willing to pay to have her. And they were right. Do not underestimate the rabid fan base that this woman has. People are free to determine what they feel they're worth. If promoters are not willing to pay her fee, and they're not willing to pay her asking price, then she'll have to reduce it, or she'll have to go somewhere else. WWE was not willing to meet her price. Bushy Road was. Always know your worth. She went out, and she got the money that she was looking for. You gotta respect that. We now have a better sense of why Matt Riddle may have been written off television for the next six weeks. This is a story that was broken by Cassidy Haynes on uh, Bodyslam.net earlier in the week. uh, Talking about the injury angle they did on TV a couple of weeks ago where Solo Sokoa took out Matt Riddle. uh, They strapped him to a board. They carried him out in an ambulance. And they said that uh, due to his injuries that he would be off television for the next six weeks. And according to this report, that is not the reason why he will be off television for the next six weeks. The real reason he was written off television is said to be that uh, he is in rehab after a second wellness violation. Now, apparently over the summer, WWE had uh, written Riddle off television uh, for a brief period of time. And originally they had him as the SummerSlam match against Seth Rollins. That match was pushed back, as we know, to Clash at the Castle. And at the time it was reported that that was due to a change... Uh, due to a new creative direction. Sources have told Cassidy Haynes that the reason for pushing the match back was because Riddle failed a drug test leading up to SummerSlam. And with Vince McMahon no longer in charge, a new creative direction, quote-unquote, was taken regarding Riddle and his big match against Rollins, was postponed until Clash at the Castle. Additionally, he was told that the company informed Riddle at the time that another failed drug test would result in rehab, or being fired, a situation similar to what happened once before with Jeff Hardy. And that leads us to Riddle's most recent six-week write-off. He was able to confirm that the reason WWE wrote Riddle off TV is because he failed another drug test and will be sent to rehab. And the belief going around is that he has already entered treatment or will be going in as soon uh, as possible. Uh, and he would need to be finished in time for his return in six weeks. And he asked for clarification on what exactly came up on the failed test. I don't know that he ever got any of that uh, information back, because typically WWE does not talk about what people fail for, but it should be noted that WWE no longer tests for marijuana. I know that'll be the first thing people think of when it comes to Matt Riddle, and it's not as if he shies away from it. Not only does he not shy away from it, they have incorporated it into his gimmick on TV and the merch that they sell. So that would be quite hypocritical of WWE to penalize him for something like that. Uh, but apparently they don't even really test for that anymore. There used to be like a pot tax, I think, where they would fine people $1,000 or $2,000 per infraction. 
And uh, they kind of considered it like a pot tax. I'm not even sure that exists anymore. Meltzer says WWE has not officially addressed the story. They have not responded to questions about it. If accurate, he says the story contradicts its drug policy because there was no 30-day suspension for the first offense, which was claimed to be over the summer. And again, the claim being that it resulted in the match with Rollins being bumped to the Clash at the Castle show. Uh, Riddle did not wrestle between the July 25th Raw and an August 20th house show, but that is less than 30 days. The policy is also that all drug test failures and suspensions are to be announced publicly, which did not happen. WWE also has not commented on questions regarding if there was a policy change that was never publicized, nor have they denied the story being inaccurate. And that is very interesting, because typically if this was just a completely fabricated, made-up thing... I'm sure by now WWE either would have leaked it to uh, some of these sources or they would have come out with some kind of uh, statement saying that you know this stuff going around is uh, false, it is not true. There has been no denial about this. And we're talking about pretty serious stuff here. This is not some random wrestling story. It's about a wrestling storyline and they can just ignore it. You know, we're talking about whether one of their, you know, top, I call him, I think Riddle's a top performer in the company. He's been involved in some top uh, feuds on television and big matches this year. We're talking about one of their top stars uh, potentially being suspended or sent to rehab on a second drug violation, a second drug test failure. If that's not true, and if the stories going around about it are not true, I would think for the sake of Matt Riddle, either he publicly would come out and deny it, or the company would stick up for him and deny it. And it's very telling, I think, that they have stayed silent. And they have not said anything about any of this. Melter says it was the talk and belief of the talent over the past week that the injury angle was a storyline cover for his departure due to going to rehab. And one source close to Riddle denied the story, saying that he was taking time off because of the pressure of going through a divorce. No word on whether that one source close to Matt Riddle was in fact Matt Riddle. But they said he's out six weeks. That's the storyline uh, explanation and, and the timeline here. The WWE policy is that a second suspension would be 60 days, which is not six weeks. That's eight weeks. You don't need to be a math major to know that. Eight weeks plus mandatory rehab. Uh, so again, we don't know if there's been a policy change. We don't We don't know what we don't know. <laughs> uh, but it was a little odd, odd that they would take a, a star like Riddle, who has been a pretty prominent star on Monday nights, and they would just take him off TV for six weeks for a phony injury unless there's something very serious going on here. And I, I know he's been in the middle of a messy divorce, so that is going on. Uh, but it just seemed very uh, suspicious. And it's not a situation where it's a cover for an actual injury. Meltzer said that it's been confirmed that's not what it is. Unlike Shotzi, for example. They did that injury angle with her where Rhonda and Shayna were seen coming out of the parking lot and there's Shotzi next to her car holding her hand and... You know, now they say her hand is broken. And she posted an x-ray on her social media after that. Her hand is legitimately broken. Uh, but they shot that little scene there just as a way to explain it on TV. So, you know, it, this is not a situation like that. We don't know, you know, if in fact this was a drug test failure, what he failed for. There have been rumors about Riddle and, you know, drug use. And I won't get into, you know, what drugs have been rumored and all that. Again, we're not talking about marijuana here. You know, for his sake, hopefully, if that's the case, hopefully he can get his shit together. You know, it would be a shame for him to flush his career down the toilet for something as stupid as that. 
Not that people haven't done that before, but hopefully that's uh, not the case with him. And it's bad enough they lost Randy Orton, right, which killed the whole RK-Bro thing. Uh, the last thing they need to do is lose one of their biggest names on Raw. So hopefully whatever's going on, it'll be cleared up. And uh, if that is in fact what it is, he can get his shit together because that ain't good. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now, I've been talking about WrestleMania ideas for different people the past few weeks. Always fun to do that around this time of year. One of those people was Brock Lesnar. With him and Bobby Lashley being tied at one win apiece this year, WrestleMania would make sense for a third and decisive match in their trilogy. But when that rumor popped up of WWE considering a Hell in a Cell match for the Royal Rumble pay-per-view, I think Lesnar against Lashley is the program that would make the most sense for, for the cage to blow things off. It doesn't look like that's the case, based on a story out this morning that Edge against Finn Balor is planned for the show and will likely be getting the Hell in a Cell treatment. But I have mentioned Brock, and the other name I've mentioned is Gunther. I think WrestleMania is the time for them to revisit him against Sheamus with Sheamus winning his first Intercontinental title. I still feel that way. But that's also a match they could revisit at the Royal Rumble. Although based on television, it looks like that spot is going to Braun Strowman. But they still uh, do Gunther and Sheamus there, or they could do it in Montreal at the Elimination Chamber uh, pay-per-view. And they may have to. If this latest report from WrestlingNews.co is accurate, according to the website, one of the big matches penciled in for WrestleMania 39 in Los Angeles, after asking someone familiar with the creative plans, is Brock Lesnar against Gunther. That is one of the matches listed internally for the show. Now, Walter has talked about wanting the match uh, with Brock because he feels that a match with Lesnar would present the biggest possible challenge for him. He has said that it would be his dream match. And they're also told that Lesnar is scheduled for the Royal Rumble next month. He is scheduled for the Elimination Chamber in February. That would definitely be a big match. There is no denying that. I, I don't think it would end well for Walter, but it is a match that we have never seen before. But I'm going to be upset if we do not have Sheamus taking the title from him, either there or at the Rumble, because... Brock Lesnar does not need to be wrestling for the Intercontinental title, so it would stand to reason that Walter would drop the belt to somebody before then. He doesn't need to be undefeated to wrestle Brock. He, he can lose. You know, he can lose to someone before then. If that's the match for WrestleMania, then I hope they still do the Sheamus match sometime before then. 
If Brock wrestles Bobby at the Royal Rumble, and Walter, let's say, was to wrestle Braun Strowman or Sheamus, right? Brock Lesnar and Gunther could still end up in the Men's Royal Rumble match. And then maybe you have, you know, Gunther eliminate Lesnar. That could light the match between those two. If not, Brock's going to be at the Chamber pay-per-view. Then I, I guess they could always set something up there to lead to a Mania match. But, you know, remember uh, what a big moment it was when Drew McIntyre, Claymore kicked Brock Lesnar out of the Royal Rumble two years ago. That was such a great match. I remember so many people hated the idea of Lesnar in the Rumble that year. I thought it was fucking great. Uh, that was the most fun I've had watching a Royal Rumble match in years. So eliminating Lesnar would be a big deal. Now, speaking of Gunther, he defended his Intercontinental title successfully against Ricochet on SmackDown Friday night. Uh, I thought it was an excellent match. 20 minutes of just greatness from those two. Uh, the Intercontinental Championship has not had this type of crowd investment in years. And it's great to see. They've built up Walter as this unbeatable force on the show. He's been the champion now for going on six months. And you watch that match on Friday night, and credit to Ricochet as well for being a babyface that they were able to get behind, hanging on to every near fall. Just They were so into everything that these guys were doing. It's just great to see. And it's great to see Walter thriving on the main roster, when even a year ago I would have cringed at the mere thought of him being called up. So much has changed since then. But I would have, I would have just been like, please, go, go, run the opposite way. Run as fast as your feet will carry you. And so to see how well he's doing now, and, and Ricochet too, look, these last six months have been the best six that he's had his entire time on the main roster. He dropped the Intercontinental title to Gunther in June, but he has been consistently featured on television, which is more than I can say when, you know, Vince McMahon was running the show and they would have these start and stop things with Ricochet. Yeah, he won the World Cup a few weeks ago. He's been able to go out there and show how good he really is in the ring, bell to bell. So, uh, you know, again, credit to both those guys for the match they had on Friday. Uh, but it was just really nice to see an intercontinental title match like that, where the crowd was treating it like a, like a big-time prize fight. They were treating it like a world championship match. I thought that was great. Now, we also had a big announcement on SmackDown Friday night. This was going to be a big night for Sami Zayn. He got all dressed up for the occasion. And this was going to be the night that he was a made man in the bloodline. And I was worried that he was going to be Joe pesci on Friday night. And this was going to be the end for him. But it wasn't. He lives to uh, survive another day. Even though he got all dressed up for nothing. Because when the bloodline came out at the end of the show, John Cena interrupted on the big screen. And John Cena said that he got a text message, I guess, during the show from Kevin Owens. Because earlier in the night... Adam Pearce had agreed to make a match for SmackDown in two weeks, the final SmackDown of the year on December 30th in Tampa. A big main event, Roman Reigns and Sami Zayn are going to be tag team partners. Because Roman Reigns wants to know where his allegiance lies. He wants to know for sure, even after War Games, he still is not sure. He wants to make sure that Sami Zayn is firmly behind him and the bloodline and not with Kevin Owens. And so it's going to be Roman and Sami against KO and a mystery partner, a partner of his choosing. And John Cena, I guess, just so happened to get that text message from Kevin Owens because KO knew that Cena was already being advertised for the show. And Kevin Owens and, and John Cena have a history together as well. Not as friends, not as tag team partners, but they have a history together. But John Cena accepted his invitation. And so John Cena is going to preserve the streak that I had completely forgotten about, which is that 
if John Cena was not to wrestle a match this year, and it looked like he wasn't going to, this would be the first year in 20 years that John Cena has not wrestled a match, a single match, all year for WWE. And so he's barely getting it in under the under the deadline there, right under the radar. But he is going to wrestle for the first and only time this year. He'll be tagging with Kevin Owens against Roman Reigns and Sami Zayn. That is a huge match for the final SmackDown uh, of the year. And even more crazy to me, they mentioned this on commentary, is the fact that this is going to be Roman Reigns' first match on SmackDown since June 17th. June 17th is when he defended the championship against Matt Riddle. He has not wrestled a match on SmackDown since then. And as far as what do they do for a finish here, I know one thing I don't do. I don't pin Roman Reigns. Even if the bloodline loses, you have Sammy take the fall. Roman Reigns does not get pinned until he is ready to drop the championship. And whoever he drops the title or titles to... That first time, whether it's WrestleMania, whether it's Royal Rumble, whether it's Elimination Chamber, whether it's SummerSlam, whenever he finally loses and drops the title, that is when he should be pinned. He should not be pinned in a tag team match on television. I don't care if it's John Cena. I don't care who it is. You do not pin Roman Reigns until the time is right. This is not the right time. Now let's shift over to the AEW side here. A lot of WWE stuff this week. We got some AEW news as well. AEW made a big backstage hire this week. Michael Mansuri, the former vice president of global television production for WWE, has been hired by AEW as their new senior vice president and co-executive producer. A uh, fellow Hofstra grad. He graduated the year after me. Uh, he started with WWE as a production assistant in March of 2009. He worked his way up the ranks to a VP role in 2016 before giving his notice and leaving the company in 2020. A lot of people in the company, a lot of people, were shocked when he announced that he was going to be leaving. And a lot of them tried to convince him not to leave. Uh, Sam Roberts did a great interview with Mansuri about a year ago on his YouTube channel that was very insightful. Didn't get a lot of traffic, but I thought it was a very insightful interview. Uh, there was a period of time where he would work raw. He would fly out to LA to do the uh, WWE backstage show and then take a red eye cross country to do a live NXT on USA. Uh, this is back when it was still airing on Wednesdays. Then he would do SmackDown, then maybe have a day home in his New York City apartment. He would work a pay-per-view if there was one, on Sunday, and then his week would start all over again with Raw on Monday. So he was a madman, but he was always looking to do more. He was he was an overachiever in this company, and when he asked them about that, they would always give him the runaround and say, well, you know, you should wait, give it, give it six months, give it a year, you know, give it some time to see what happens. But it became pretty clear there was no upward mobility for him. There was nowhere else for him to go. And and he was very complimentary of Kevin Dunn in that interview. You know, he worked for Kevin. Kevin was a mentor to him. But when he talks about upward mobility, it's pretty clear what he's aiming for. And when it became clear that the position he was interested in was not going to be opening up anytime soon, he felt that he had to leave before he got bitter. He didn't want to get bitter. He never wanted to get to a point where he became bitter. So he gave his notice a week or two before the pandemic shut everything down. And he finished up with them in uh, May of that year. He let Kevin Dunn pick the date, you know, his final date. 
And so they had him work two more months, and in May, he left the company. Uh, he worked as an executive producer for Pat McAfee's show after that. Most recently, he worked for the One MMA promotion. He left there last month, and Tony Khan snatched him up. Many people in WWE saw him as the person to one day replace Kevin Dunn. They saw him as the heir apparent to Kevin Dunn when Kevin Dunn was finally gone. I think it is very telling that he has been hired as the co-executive producer for AEW. Kevin Dunn is the executive producer for WWE. So he may not want to come right out and say it. He wants to be diplomatic about it, or maybe he just really likes Kevin Dunn. But the reality is, it is fairly obvious that he had hopes that that role was going to be opening up and that Kevin Dunn would step aside, or maybe he would scale back his schedule. And when that didn't happen, and he couldn't get a straight answer as to when that might happen, he felt, you know what, it's time to go pursue other opportunities. You know, he was very close at one time with Triple H. Uh, dating back to his work with NXT, he was a Triple H guy. You know, maybe after Triple H took over for Vince McMahon, he thought he might get that call from him or or Dunn would be let go. And when that didn't happen, he, you know, took the position that AEW offered him. It reminds me of David Sahadi. Sahadi worked in production for WWE. He was very highly regarded when it came to their production and their video packages uh, he also grew disillusioned there and negotiated an exit from the company with Kevin Dunn. Uh, this was in 2003. And TNA ended up bringing him in the following year, and he made an immediate impact, uh, pun intended, on their production values. You know, and, and that was hailed at the time as this is a major hire for TNA. Uh, and he spent 13 years there working in that company. Eventually... Uh, after he left, he did come back. I think he still works there to this day. But I know there was a break where he had left uh, Impact and then he came back. But in this week's Observer, Meltzer says that Warner Brothers Discovery and Tony Khan have decided to change the look of their shows uh, with the planned changes going into effect in January. Will Washington of Fightful, to follow up on that, said that a lot of it was in motion weeks ago. Uh, there's a whole new slate of ID shots for Dynamite and Rampage that were filmed in Newark over Full Gear Weekend featuring all of the available talent. I know the Young Bucks included some footage uh, on one of their BTE episodes of them filming new promo shots. So they're already working on some stuff. I think some cosmetic changes to the shows are needed. Dynamite has largely looked exactly the same since it debuted. Uh, the show doesn't need to be overly polished like WWE. I actually think WWE is too overproduced. Uh, I'm not saying that AEW needs to be that, but updating some of the graphics would be nice. You know, maybe changing the set uh, or having custom sets for special themed episodes. They have Beach Break. You know, we just had Winter is Coming. Uh, and there was nothing visually different about Winter is Coming, you know? So I think something like that would be fun. I know Tony Khan is a wrestling fan. I know he watched WWE back when they had custom sets for their pay-per-views. I think he should bring some of that to AEW. WWE isn't doing it anymore. They're obsessed with their CGI graphics. That's one area I think where AEW can differentiate itself. But one thing I hope Mansuri does not bring to AEW with him are the annoying camera cuts which he admitted earlier this year were not a Kevin Dunn idea originally, although Kevin Dunn clearly adopted it, and he grew to like it, and it has infected WWE programming ever since. But it started, the rapid camera cuts did, as something for The Shield in 2012 to create this chaotic feel to their three-on-one beatdowns. 
and it just stuck and they've used it ever since and that was that was Marty Miller who came up with that that's another director who still works with Kevin Dunn uh hopefully they leave the rapid camera cuts to uh Stanford we don't need them in Jacksonville Wednesday's winter is coming episode of Dynamite did $950,000 $950,000 Jesus Christ 950,000 total viewers. If they did $950,000, that's a hell of a gate for uh, Dynamite on Wednesday. No, they did 950,000 total viewers, uh, which was slightly above what last year's Winter is Coming episode did. That one did 948,000. So that's actually remarkably consistent uh, year to year. But it's higher, a lot higher than the 870,000 they fell to the week before. To see MJF make his first defense of the AEW World Championship and his Dynamite Diamond Ring, retaining the title and winning the Diamond Ring for the fourth straight year over Ricky Starks, it made no sense to make it winner-take-all when they announced it, and it still makes no sense to me. When the winner of the Battle Royal had the option, and they said this on commentary, when the winner of the Battle Royal a few weeks ago had the option of deciding when and where to challenge MJF for the diamond ring. And then seeing what they did on Wednesday, it's just, it's, it's just mind boggling to me. They could have gotten a longer program out of it by setting up a second match between them for the ring and having Ricky win. Uh, but as it was with MJF kicking him in the balls and rolling him up, I mean, it does leave the door open to revisit things between them down the road. Brian Danielson came out after he chased MJF away. That sets up his next challenger after his attack on William Regal. Death Triangle, they went up three wins to the Elite One over Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks, which was smart because all of the remaining matches in their best of seven series for the trios titles now are deciding matches. Uh, all they need is one more win to close it out, but there, I mean, there's no doubt they're going to go the full seven with the Elite winning the belts back. Uh, they're already setting up the House of Black to challenge whoever the champions are coming out of this. Penta used the ball-peen hammer on Nick Jackson's injured ankle. That led to his team getting the victory. So Kenny Omega said, why not make hammers and everything else legal in match number five this week? It'll be anything goes. And should it go to a sixth match, that match will be false count anywhere. And then if necessary, the grand finale will be a ladder match for the trios titles. They needed to spice things up in these last few matches. I think adding some stipulations was the way to do it. And Chris Jericho, after losing his Ring of Honor World Championship to Claudio last weekend at Final Battle, he lost again. Not to a former world champion, but to a 24-year-old rookie named Action Andretti. This was Jericho playing the Razor Ramon role to Andretti's 1-2-3 kid. This was a plan that Jericho hatched more than two months ago after he saw Andretti wrestle QT Marshall on AEW Dark, and he decided that he was going to make him a star. Tony Khan announced that Andretti was all elite after the match, but he was secretly signed back in October when Jericho first came up with the plan. He let Andretti kick out of a code breaker. He did the clean job to a standing shooting star press, which was such a random way to finish the match. This is one of those situations where I actually think a, a, like a flash pin or a roll-up would have been a lot better and would have made a lot more sense. I mean, how many people do the, the standing shooting star press? Yeah, I know Ricochet does it in a lot of his matches. There's people who do it in AEW. Uh, I, we've seen Apollo Crews. It's just, it's, I mean, it's a, it's an impressive feat, right? That not anybody can do. I get that, but it's just such a random, uh, minor move. 
And for Jericho to just lay there and be pinned after it was kind of like, really? <laughs> That's how the match ends? Uh, but the crowd in Garland, Texas, they, they made that match something special. They were big time behind Andretti. He looked good in there. But they were into it because they hate Jericho. They'll sing his song. But Jericho knows how to get heat, and he had the people dying to see Andretti pull off the upset. Now, I figured Andretti was winning because when when was the last time they threw a Chris Jericho squash match out there on Dynamite like that? I, that's what Rampage and Dark are for. You know, Tony Khan barely has time to fit the actual stars that he has on Dynamite every week. Uh, fucking Miro was just interviewed this week and said that he's just waiting for the opportunity. He's waiting for the phone call to get back on AEW TV. So I thought that was strange, that they would book a segment as Chris Jericho in action and not tell us who it was against until the kid was already in the ring. Uh, and look, I don't mean to rain on everybody's parade here, but as I said the other night on the stream, I love the segment. But this felt less to me like Jericho making a star and more about furthering Jericho's own angle. And whatever it is that he's going to be doing next. It might be a losing streak angle, we don't know. It was nice of him to give the rub to the kid. I think he had good intentions. But talk to me in 90 days you know, from now about what Andretti is doing. Is this going to be a case of Chris Jericho making a new star? I don't, I don't see that uh, happening here. I don't see that being the outcome. I do think that it's going to ultimately just be more about what Jericho is doing next. But talk to me in 90 days. Because Jericho's the one that's going to be getting a lot more TV time than Andretti will. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We got some other news and notes. With a little over two weeks to go until Wrestle Kingdom 17, we now have the full card set for the Tokyo Dome. Carl Anderson successfully defended his never open weight title against Hikuleo at the New Japan Tag League Finals on Wednesday after which he said that he was the greatest champion of all time, the greatest uh, never openweight champion of all time, and he would hold the title for all eternity. And that brought out Tamatanga. And the two of them got into it. Anderson laid him out with a gun stun and told him that he would see him at Wrestle Kingdom. So he is going to be making history with this match. He will be the first ever WWE contracted star to work the Tokyo Dome. And uh, WWE and New Japan, they came to an agreement on the match. We also know who FTR will be defending their IWGP tag team titles against. That's going to be Yoshihashi and Hiroki Goto. And Keiji Muto will work his final ever New Japan match on the show, tagging with Hiroshi Tanahashi and Shota Umino against Tetsuya Naito, Sanada, and Bushi. 
And the rest of the card includes the annual New Japan Ranbo Battle Royal with the final four facing each other at New Year Dash on January 5th to determine the first King of Pro Wrestling Provisional Champion of 2023. This is the lineup. We've got an Antonio Inoki Memorial Six-Man Tag. It's going to be Togi Makabe, Satoshi Kojima, and Yuji Nagata taking on Tatsumi Fujinami, Tiger Mask, and Minoru Suzuki, who announced that his Suzuki Goon faction, which has been around since 2011, will be disbanding at the end of this year. No more Suzuki Goon. IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team titles on the line. Francesco Akira and TJP defend against Leo Rush and Yo. IWGP Women's Championship on the line. Kyrie defends against Tam Nakano. I've already talked about Mercedes and how I think that whole thing's going to go down. Zack Sabre Jr. against Ren Narita to crown the first ever New Japan Pro Wrestling Television Champion. And the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title on the line, Taiji Ishimori defends against Hiromu Takahashi. El Desperado and Master Wato in a fatal four-way match. And then we've got the, uh, the two main events on this show. The two big... Matches are Will Ospreay defending his IWGP United States Championship against the returning Kenny Omega. And we have the IWGP World Heavyweight title defended. It'll be Jay White putting his title on the line against the former champion Kazuchika Okada. And that is your Wrestle Kingdom 17 lineup. New Japan held a press conference on Wednesday, Wednesday night, with President Takami Obari announcing that cheering will be allowed at the Tokyo Dome. Thank God. But, not without conditions. He said that there will be new guidelines that will allow crowds to have, quote, in-principle vocal support, which is the wildest way of defining uh, crowd cheering that I've ever heard. In-principle vocal support, starting at Wrestle Kingdom. This is what he said. An important distinction is that rules concerning no loud voice cheering have not changed at events. However, the definition of cheering has been allowed to change after consultations to allow an in-principle and effective return to cheering. Current government rulings state that long singing, rally songs, etc. are not allowed. However, counting with a referee, cheering with a catchphrase like 1, 2, 3, da, or chanting for wrestlers is allowed under our guidelines. As rally songs are disallowed, so are chants that might be longer than, for example, the chorus of a song. Singing to the length of a wrestler's entrance would be disallowed. But with chants pre-pandemic lasting an average of 10 to 20 seconds, this is not a significant issue. This is all so silly. But I am just glad that they will be allowed to do more than clap. That is great news. He also announced that New Year Dash will have a mystery format with matches not being announced until wrestlers come out for their matches. Uh, That is outside of the uh, King of Pro Wrestling match that I mentioned before. And this is a scary story uh, that could have turned tragic, and thankfully it did not. Hacksaw Jim Duggan, who wrapped up radiation treatment for prostate cancer a few months ago, told Wrestling Inc. that his home in South Carolina was broken into by an intruder back on December 8th and said the man, who was in his mid-twenties, entered through the front door. Duggan took the man down by himself before grabbing his own forty-four caliber pistol and holding the intruder at gunpoint. After the man broke in, Duggan and his wife Deborah heard other people yelling in their neighborhood, and Hacksaw was worried more people might be headed his way, so he turned off his Christmas lights, he told the man to be quiet, 
The intruder, who Duggan described as hysterically frightened, claimed that people from a nearby home were coming after him to kill him, after which Duggan kept his gun on his lap and his hand on the intruder's back until the police arrived. According to Hacksaw, the man was fleeing people related to a separate legal matter leading him to seek refuge. The man reportedly pounded on multiple other doors before climbing over Duggan's fence and entering through their unlocked door. Duggan did not press charges when asked, letting the Kershaw County Sheriff's Department apprehend the intruder. And uh, he said, thank God we didn't shoot him. The guy is lucky he didn't get his face smashed in with a 2 by 4 tough guy. He should be happy about that. I would have thought that would have been the weapon of choice for Hacksaw, if anybody ever tried to break into his home. That's crazy. I mean, that's a uh, a nutty story and, and very scary. Why would you leave your door unlocked? <laughs> Especially today. And I know he's over, he's, I think he's in Lugoff. He's, he's in a, probably a very, um, suburban area there in South Carolina. I mean, we have suburban areas here in New York. You know, you can be in the middle of nowhere. You're not necessarily in the middle of the city, but I don't know. In today's day and age, I mean, it just doesn't seem very wise to me to uh, leave your front door unlocked. So let that be a lesson right there. But I am very glad that he and his wife are okay. He has had a hell of a year. Let's take a few mailbag questions and then we will uh, get on out of here. You can email me, thesolomonster, at gmail.com. Please include your name and where you are from when you write in. Uh, we'll start with Michael from Long Island. What do you think about doing Logan Paul and Austin Theory against John Cena and Stone Cold Steve Austin at WrestleMania 39. That's not a bad idea at all, actually. And I don't know what Cena's status is going to be for WrestleMania. As I mentioned last week, he's doing that movie for two months, starting in February in Australia. So that that could uh, impact his WrestleMania status. Maybe that's why they're getting him for a tag team match in two weeks. They figure we may not get him for Mania, but at least we'll get him on SmackDown. I don't know, but... Uh, that's not a bad idea. You know, we would get to see Austin and Cena as partners. Austin can let Cena do a lot of the selling to get to the, the hot tag, and then he can run roughshod over the two young guys. Logan Paul would do well as a heel, you know, promoting the match. We all know, uh, you know, that's kind of his uh, specialty there. So I, I think as a an attraction for WrestleMania, that could be a, a good compromise as opposed to doing Austin, let's say, in another singles match. Uh, Chris from Cortland Manor, New York. Recently on Raw, AJ Styles, Gallows, and Anderson moved on from the feud with the Judgment Day and into a mini-program, it seems, with Alpha Academy. After a few short months, it seems the trio has already lost a good chunk of momentum, and now they just feel like another mid-card act with no real direction, similar to how Anderson and Gallows were floundering before their release. I would hate to believe that the sole reason they were brought back to the company was to work the program with AJ against Finn and Judgment Day with no future plans. What say you to the idea of moving the group over to SmackDown and into a storyline with the Bloodline as a possible gap filler between Royal Rumble and WrestleMania or post-WrestleMania? Gallows and Anderson could be new, fresh, and believable challengers for the Usos in the tag team titles, and AJ could revisit a match with Roman Reigns for the undisputed title. Uh, if Roman makes it past Mania as champion, he certainly will need new opponents. P.S. Any thoughts on WWE adding Tamina to the bloodline and giving the group a female presence and doing something noteworthy and purposeful with her before her career ends? I'll, I'll answer in reverse. Uh, no. I don't want to see that. 
And I think, honestly, the the token run for Tamina was the tag team title run that she and Natty had. Matt, she's been with this company for so many years. And finally, she won a championship, and then she was doing the 24-7 stuff, and I guess she won that crap title too. But uh, no, I have no interest in seeing Tamina in the bloodline. Uh, I have nothing against if they want to add some uh, female presence to the group. There's been talk of uh, Naomi, even though Naomi is only, she's married into the bloodline. She is not actual blood, but neither is Sami Zayn. But no, I, I have no interest in that. But as far as, you know, Anderson and Gallows and AJ against the bloodline, yeah, it could be a gap filler, you know, leading into WrestleMania. Uh, it could also be uh, a feud for them coming out of WrestleMania if they still have their titles, which I think would be a huge mistake if uh, if they still had their championships, that is. But, you know, Anderson and Gallows, look, there's a reason why I wasn't excited when I heard that they were coming back. It's like, oh, okay. You know, I mean, that's kind of their role on the show. They're there. You know, they can they could certainly challenge for the tag team titles. But, you know, what more do you really see them doing? You know, AJ Styles, I think, I would be nice to see him elevated back to that position as someone challenging Roman Reigns. We haven't seen that match in many years. But Anderson and Gallows are pretty much in the role that they were going to be in. You know, they're they're AJ's partner and they're there to kind of back him up depending on who he's feuding with. And they've added Mia Yim to the group, maybe try to give her some rub from it. But, I mean, I can't say that I'm, I'm shocked or disappointed at the role that they're in. They're pretty much where I expected them them to be so yeah you want to you want to do something with them in the bloodline that's fine but uh you know they're not going to win and sufi from malaysia in your honest opinion i don't know what other opinion i would give you guys i give you my honest opinion every week should tony khan give up on keeping ring of honor running and uh, he talks about here with tony unable to score a tv deal lack of concrete ring of honor talents and AEW's many divisions, it feels like Tony solely focuses on AEW. I get that Tony is a huge fan of ROH, but Tony has to think this is, this in business perspective, whether it is worth it to keep ROH in business with no guarantee of success. He can still honor the legacies of the promotion, like keeping the pure title, Ring of Honor Hall of Fame, pay-per-view names, and gimmick matches like Survival of the Fittest. That is my thoughts on it. Well, he's, I mean, Tony Khan spent, you know, money to buy Ring of Honor with the express purpose of keeping it running. So, uh, do I think he should give up on it? No, if he thinks he can make it a success, then he should have the opportunity to go ahead and try to make Ring of Honor a success. So, I don't think he should just shut the whole thing down. If he's got a plan for it, he's starting to put some kind of roster together for it. Uh, It's not complete yet, but they've got plans to do a weekly show. They're going to do it on Honor Club. You know, it deserves a chance. Let's see if that succeeds. Obviously, he tried to get a TV deal for it. He did not succeed. Had he succeeded, we would be hearing that Ring of Honor was coming to TNT, or Ring of Honor was coming to TBS, or Ring of Honor was coming to HBO Max. And we heard none of those things at the Final Battle Media Scrum, because he tried and he failed. But he tried. Didn't work out. So now he's going to try a different way. As far as, you know, honoring the legacies by keeping the pure title... And and the pay-per-view net. I mean, if Ring of Honor was killed off, why would you keep the pure title? You, do you do you think AEW needs more titles? Is Sufi? Is this what you're telling me? That you think that AEW needs more championships? So no. If they killed off Ring of Honor, then the Ring of Honor titles go with it. Yeah, you can take maybe some of the 
uh, trademark pay-per-view names if you want to use them for AEW purposes. You can do that. But no, you either make Ring of Honor work or you, you kill it. And then you make use of the tape library somehow. It's very simple. If WWE would have bought Ring of Honor, that's what they would be doing. Ring of Honor would be a tab on Peacock. Tony Khan said he has too much respect for Ring of Honor for it to end up like that. He wants to try to make it a success. Well, 2023 will tell the tale of whether or not he succeeds doing that or not. Once they start weekly, I say television, but, you know, weekly show, wherever it airs, whether it's a TV network, we don't know. Uh, but no, I mean, if that's what he wants to do, but just keep it as separate as possible from AEW. It was starting to get to a point where it was, it, it, not even starting, it was, for God's sakes, at a point where it was just taking up so much time on AEW television, it was at the expense, I felt, of the AEW talent and the AEW stories. And he said coming out of Final Battle that he was going to move away from that. That's good. Doesn't mean he shouldn't have a chance to try to make it a success. There are people who are going to be working for the Ring of Honor brand. There are still some Ring of Honor fans out there who would like to see it survive in some way. So we'll see. Tony's got a lot of money. So he's going to try to make it work. I hope I hope it works out. Uh, if you have questions for the mailbag, you can email me, thesolomonster, at gmail.com. Whether you are from New York or you are from Malaysia, like Sufi, wherever you may be in the world, I love hearing from all of you. At Solomonster on Twitter. Uh, is Twitter still a thing? Is Twitter dead yet? No, it might be soon. But I'm on Twitter, at Solomonster. You can find me on there. Follow me there. Uh, and on YouTube, type in Solomonster Sounds Off. You got the full channel. Not only do you get some clips, only some, from these shows as we uh, try to entice some uh, some new subscribers and listeners. But you get exclusive content on there. I go live usually three times a week, sometimes four if there's a pay-per-view. I'll be live again Monday night after Raw, Wednesday night after Dynamite, Friday night after SmackDown. We are heading into the end of the year, so we have some other fun stuff coming up. We got New Year's Eve coming up, right? So got to start planning for that as well. Top matches of the year. There's a lot of stuff that's going to be uh, going on, so... I appreciate all the support on YouTube, whether it's a like on a video, uh, whether it's a sub, whether it's a membership. A lot of you have gifted channel memberships to other people, which you can do when you're in the live chats, right? Tis the season. We've picked up a lot of new channel members that way through uh, your generosity uh, or, frankly, just tuning into the live streams, whatever it may be. I appreciate the support. I'll be back next Sunday for episode 788. Of the Solomonster Sounds Off. That'll be next Sunday. Uh, and I believe that is Christmas Day. Am I, uh, am I mistaken in that? No, it is not. No, it is. It is Christmas Day. So we, our, our Christmas Sound Off, uh, next Sunday. For those of you wondering if I'm doing a show, the answer is yes. Done plenty of Christmas shows before. I don't know why this year would be any different. That will also be the final Sound Off of 2022. Because the following Sunday will be the New Year's Day sound off. So I hope you will close out 2022 with me next Sunday. Until then, take care, guys. The Solomonsters sounds off. There's Bret Hart, who I saw. He did a signing and was asked about who he would have loved to have worked with. But he name dropped Kurt Angle and he said Brock Lesnar. He would have loved to have worked with Brock Lesnar from everything that he's ever heard about the guy. He's a total pro. Unlike Bill Goldberg. <laughs> He had to slip that mention in there. Goldberg never even was brought up, but he had to slip that mention in there. I think it's fucking hilarious at this point.
You could ask Brett about any subject. It doesn't even have to do with wrestling, and I guarantee you he will find a way to bring it back to Bill Goldberg. You could have Bret Hart walk into a Home Depot, and he's looking for some hardware. He's going to do some kind of DIY home building project. And he's in there, and he's looking for certain materials, and he's talking to the guy, and the guy says, Yeah, I'm sorry, we're, we're, we're out of that. We don't have that uh, color paint. And Brett just goes, Man, you know, you disappointed me. You disappointed me kind of like Bill Goldberg did when he kicked my head in. And the guy just kind of looks at him and goes, What the fuck are you talking about? Literally, any situation he can bring up Bill Goldberg, I think it's fucking hilarious. The Solid Monster sounds off. Each week, bursting with content. Podcasts, predictions, reviews, YouTube live streams, and more. Become a channel member for perks and follow the Sala Monster on Twitter at Sala Monster. Sala Monster. Sala Monster. Sala Monster sounds off. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.